Talk Radio 96.7. Yes, we are talking sports on a Thursday night because we have found ourselves in the Ozone. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie on Coach Joe in the Ozone. We're talking sports. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Or if you're technologically inclined, it's Ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. Well, Coach Joe, this week the ACC had their meetings and they had seven teams that were upset that they weren't getting as much money as the SEC teams and also the Big Ten. So they, the seven teams tried to intimidate the rest of the ACC and say, you know what? We are bringing in the most revenue. We are the elite team, so we need to get more money. So I guess as a compromise, what happened was is that the ACC said, okay, if you make the college football playoff, then you can keep the revenue. Now, that sounds good. One of those teams is Florida State. Florida State hoodwinked the rest of the ACC. Here's why I say that. All right, in the last five years – Clemson has won 60 games, Notre Dame 53, Wake Forest 38, NC State 38, North Carolina 32, Louisville 28, Miami 43, Pitt 41, and FSU 33. So I don't think they deserve that. I mean, are they on the come? Yeah, they're they're better. They're, they're going to be better. But they were – Three of those years, they didn't make a bowl game, so they were dependent upon the rest of the conference to share in their bowl revenue. Right, yeah, they, they certainly weren't anywhere near the college football playoff for uh, since 2014, I guess, was the last time they were they were there. And so if that rule had been in place, they would have been <laughs> the big loser. I think they're anticipating now that they're going to be good enough to get in the football playoff. They believe they are, we'll see. Uh, and I think... And such, and Notre Dame thinks that, and some of these other schools think that, and that's why they're trying to get more money. And the, the interesting, the only leverage they have is, and you start seeing stories about this when when they're trying to make their play, is that the grant of rights can somehow be overcome. But the grant of rights, by the way, is what is what the, the ACC con- contract with each team says they have their rights to all their television. Uh, coverage and the television rights granted to the conference, and it goes until two thousand and what thirty six, Ronnie? Yeah, that's correct. So, so that's they're locked into that, and it's not as lucrative as in the other conferences, and they want more money. and And right now, they're threatening to basically break up the ACC. I don't know, man. It's, but uh, if you go back historically, that's what they wanted because the ACC was about to break up back then, and they wanted to make it so hard for teams to leave that they couldn't leave. They signed off on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, You signed a contract. I mean, that's like saying, you know, my car's getting old. I don't really want to pay for it anymore. (laughs) I want a new car, but I want you guys to pay for it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and, and, you know, threatening to, you know, what we're talking about, trying to get out of the contract, which I don't think they can do. It would be very expensive to do. If it were easy to do, Texas and Oklahoma would have done it. Good point. And they, they had to wait until next year. Which is still a year early, but at that point, they could afford the the cost to get out of it. And I think the ACC is thinking long term in terms of you know we could we could be hard on them right now, but then in a few years 
we're going to lose everything. And, yeah. And in the meantime, they might try to improve their TV deal. So I think that's what the compromise was about. But it's something worth noting and keeping an eye on. Very interesting. Well, we had a chance to talk to Blake Toppemeyer today, who covers the SEC for USA Today. We're going to take a break. When we come back, you'll be hearing from Blake Toppemeyer. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Burgess Owens, former University of Miami All-American and Super Bowl champion with the Oakland Raiders. You're listening to The Old Zone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Talk Radio 96.7. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone tonight brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. They turn scrap metal into cash. Earlier this afternoon, Ronnie O and Coach Joe caught up with Blake Toppelmeyer. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us Blake Toppelmeyer. He covers the SEC for USA Today. Blake, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Man, we really appreciate it. A lot of stuff going on. I want to get your take on there's seven teams in the ACC that are interested in moving conferences and trying to make more money. What do you think the SEC's interest would be in either all seven or a portion of those sevens coming into the SEC? I think if, if the ACC were to fracture, I think the, the SEC would have interest in, in portions um, of those seven. Now, uh, to back up a bit, I don't know, I don't think the ACC is going to fracture. Of course, they're under the grant of rights through 2036. We know there's been some squabbling, uh, some flapping of the wings from Florida State in particular, wanted a change in, in revenue distribution. That news came out from the ACC yesterday. They are going to make a change in their revenue distribution setup. Um, so I think the grant of rights in the ACC is going to hold. But if these fissures turned into fractures and, um, and, and some school does challenge, successfully challenge the, the grant of rights um, or decides to, to eat the, the massive financial penalty and the league crumbles, I think the SEC would have interest. Um, I, I think some schools at the top of the list would be North Carolina. Uh, we've seen in the past the SEC likes to expand into neighboring terrain. Um, North Carolina would do that. You'd bring in the, um, the Charlotte uh, metropolitan area that is growing. Um, I think the SEC would be very covetous of that. Uh, in addition to, to North Carolina, I think uh, Florida State, and uh, Clemson, their identity, their brand would fit uh, the SEC very nicely. And if you're looking at it, to round it out and add a fourth, uh, I, think, I think Miami would have some appeal. If for no other reason, then you don't want big, the Big Ten grabbing Miami. You don't want the Big Ten crossing over into southern terrain and getting a recruiting foothold in, in Florida. You want to check them at the door. And so I think you play defense there a little bit as the SEC. You know, I thought it was interesting. Somebody said that it was somewhat arrogant of Florida State to tag along with Clemson when Wake Forest has won more games in the last five years than Florida State has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fair uh, point. And I'm not exactly sure why the ACC willingly caved and agreed to change its distribution structure from an equitable model to a model more based on a, a team's particular success um, because, as I said, the grant rights had held up to this point. I mean, the, 
The other option would have been to say, hey, if you want to challenge the Grant of Rights, good luck. Uh, you know, best of luck with that. Hope you have a good lawyer. But, you know, the ACC ultimately caved and, and kind of gave in to what Florida State wanted. Mm. Um, SEC schedule. Are you a nine-games guy or an eight-games guy? Oh, I'm definitely a nine-game guy. Um, and, I, and I know the University of Florida, from everything Scott Strickland has, has said, um, I think Florida is, is a nine-game uh, favoring school as well. I don't. I just don't see how you can be the conference uh, with you know thumping your chest with the motto of it just just means more, and you're growing from 14 to 16 teams, and they're gonna keep playing eight conference games. That that doesn't add up to me. Uh, if it just means more, it ought to mean more conference games too, particularly um, when your super league rival. Uh, the Big Ten, I mean, let's face it, it, it is a Super 2 now. The Power 5 has morphed into a Super 2, and the Big Ten's been at nine conference games. They're going to stay at nine conference games. Uh, a lot of Big Ten schools don't play FCS teams either. Uh, I, I, I think that would be a bad look for the SEC uh, to continue playing eight conference games, particularly as we shift to the 12-team playoff. You know, I, I think strength of schedule is going to become – such a, a point of debate for the selection committee as they try to figure out in a 12-team playoff who's going to be the sixth at-large team. You know, in other sports, when we think about the NCAA tournament in basketball um, or, or really any other sport, the selection committees put so much emphasis on strength of schedule, as they well should. We know the SEC is a great league. However, if you got a 9-3 and team from the SEC that's only played eight conference games, and you got a nine and three team from the Big Ten, and they've played nine conference games. I would think the selection committee in that hypothetical would be tempted to go with the team that's played nine conference games. I don't think the SEC should put itself in that scenario. Play the nine conference games. Make sure your strength of schedule uh, is unimpeachable, and and make sure you're you're grabbing as many of those at-large playoff bids as you can. Uh, thanks thanks to your strength of schedule. Talking tonight with Blake Toppenmeyer, who covers the SEC for USA Today. Hey, Blake, uh, Coach Joe here. Uh, with a nine-game schedule in the SEC, that would mean three permanent opponents uh, per team uh, as the way it's proposed now. Now, for the Gators, obviously Georgia would be one of those permanent opponents. In fact, they have just re-upped, the two teams have re-upped for their Jacksonville series uh, to remain in Jacksonville until 2025 at the very least. But uh, I did this a couple of weeks ago, tried to figure out who the other potential opponents could be. Now, traditional rivals for the Gators have included Auburn, LSU, Tennessee. Well, something would have to give with only three permanent opponents. What do you think would be the best uh, arrangement for the Gators under the nine-game SEC schedule? Well, I think the best for Florida, unfortunately for the Gators, may not be what they get because, you know, as you were saying there, alluding to, as you try to put the puzzle together, you realize there's going to have to be some sacrifices made in some certain directions. I think it would be great for Florida's end of the stick if they could get paired back up playing Auburn annually again. I know that's an important rivalry um, to a lot of Florida fans, to a lot of Auburn fans, uh, particularly you know if you're in the Florida panhandle, uh, boy, that's a melting pot, and, and uh, you know you see a lot of fans from, from both sides there in, in that part of your state, I know. Um, but I just don't, I don't see how that rivalry is going to 
happen because when you look at it from Auburn's perspective, um, if they were to go to nine games with three rivals, Auburn would be playing Alabama every year. They'd be playing Georgia every year as their secondary rival. And I just don't think the SEC is also going to stick them with Florida. That'd be a bit of a murderer's row. I think Auburn would get a softer opponent as their third rival to balance out Alabama and Georgia. So as you start to fit the puzzle pieces together, I really think Florida is going to wind up with a wonky third rival in this alignment. I think it would be uh, Georgia. I think you're right there, obviously. Um, I think another one would be either South Carolina or Kentucky. And I think the third, as weird as it sounds, I think the third could be Oklahoma. Because uh, as you put the as you put the pieces together, um, I think Oklahoma is going to need uh, a, a third team to go alongside Texas and Missouri. I think would be Oklahoma's other two, and I think Florida is going to need a third team. Now you say, what about Tennessee in a, in a three rival alignment? Well, I think Tennessee is going to have um, Alabama, Vanderbilt, and I. Blake, you're still there. I, I, the, go, go ahead. We lost you there for a okay. second. You said Tennessee's rivalry rivals would be who? I think it would be Alabama, Vanderbilt, and either Kentucky or South Carolina. You, you know, uh, if if ever the Gators could use some wonky, soft opponents, it would be this season <laughs> coming <laughs> yeah. up. But unfortunately, yeah. the schedule looks pretty hard. Would you uh, classify the Gators' prospects this year, Blake, as uh, dire, or are they merely bleak? Uh, bleak was the word in, in my mind, but uh, you might be able to persuade me on, on Dyer. Uh, I think if I rewatch the, uh, uh, the Florida Spring game, I, I, think, I think Dyer might come to mind. I, I hesitate to read too much into Spring games, but, uh, uh, boy, offensively, um, wasn't much encouraging there. I, you know, I, I think Billy Napier is, is showing some encouraging signs on the recruiting trail. Um, I don't know that I totally agree with his strategy to the transfer portal. Uh, I think Florida needed, needed to be a little more active there than, than what it's been. Um, there's a lot that goes into that. Some, some of that's beyond the coach's control, uh, to, to be sure. Uh, but I do think Billy is getting it going a little bit in, in recruiting. Uh, you just wonder how much patience Florida fans are going to have, you know, if, if it goes the way that we're talking about maybe it could go this year. Um, you know, you start with Florida's quarterback situation. How did it come to this, right? How, how did the how did the University of Steve Spurrier, Tim Tebow, um, Danny Warfel, like, yeah, Danny Warfel, thank you, um, and even Kyle Trask. How did it come to this, where where the starting quarterback could be Graham Mertz, um, you know, the former Wisconsin Badger who's thrown 21 interceptions in the past two seasons? I mean, Graham Mertz is a fine fine man to have on your roster um but i think when you're the university of florida you're hoping for for a higher end starting quarterback um if you're the florida gators and and you look at the history of some of the guys you know we just mentioned there but yeah i i think when you look at the quarterback situation when you look at florida's offense this year it is not a typical florida offense what we've come to come to expect um you know at least from the spurrier days on forward and uh yeah, I think 2024 can't get here fast enough if, if you're Billy Napier. No doubt. And he's mentioned that he wants to bring in another portal quarterback. It's getting kind of late in the game. 
And uh, have you heard any rumors about who that might be? Is there anybody out there that would be desirable and better than what they have? I don't know about better than what they have, and, and no, I haven't heard a, you know any hot names buzzing. And you know, with these portal windows now, as you guys know, it's it's closed to new entries. You can still ask, you know, sign someone who's already in the portal. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of bargain shopping at at this point. Uh, you're you're heading to the thrift shop and, and picking <laughs> through what's left and, and hoping to find a, a, a gym that someone had, had some for some reason missed. Uh, there's a lot of group of five quarterbacks, you know, still in the portal. Um, you know, some power five guys that were, you know, maybe third string quarterbacks at, at their last school. I, I don't think that's the great solution. Uh, you know, someone who I just kind of saw a blast from the past in the portal the other day. Um, I saw Harrison Bailey's there. Of course, he's a former, uh, I believe, five star quarterback out of the state of Georgia. Started his career at Tennessee. Um, started a few games for the Vols, might have started a game against Florida, if memory serves, uh, maybe in that 2020 uh, season. Well, he later transferred to UNLV, and he's back in the portal again looking for his third school. It's <laughs> those types of players that are in the portal at this point. And, you know, <laughs> for whatever I just said about Graham Mertz throwing 21 interceptions the past two years at, at Wisconsin, I still think he's probably a better caliber of quarterback than – and what's sitting in the portal at this point? Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough to to find an answer. No and doubt. What we've what we've learned here is if you need a transfer quarterback, you better get him in the winter. That's when the most talent is in the portal. Guys go in after the season ends. The type of guys that enter after spring practice, there's very few few saviors entering the portal after spring practice. Uh, I, I think that's what we've come to learn here. I agree. Speaking of uh, Tennessee, uh, has an interesting quarterback up there. Joe Milton, you know, he was very inconsistent, lost the job, and then he looked great in the bowl game. And then you've got the five-star kid, Nico Iamaleva, coming in. And a very interesting name, Navy Shuler, son of Heath Shuler, coming in as a preferred walk-on. How do you handicap Joe Milton? Is he ready for prime time? I think he is. Um, you know, Joe Milton is, has dealt with uh, kind of football's version of the yips um, throughout earlier stages of his career when he was at Michigan and when he started at Tennessee in 2021 before getting replaced by Hinton Hooker. He's got a howitzer for an arm, um, but around Tennessee Park, the, the nickname Overthrow Joe um, <laughs> developed. He, he, he had a hard time harnessing that arm, and, and if he had a wide receiver open 50 yards downfield, overthrow Joe would throw 70 yards downfield. Ooh, ooh. Um, well, I think he's, he's, he's altered his mechanics here in the last year, and he's really made a lot of strides there. We saw him start at the end of last season in the Orange Bowl. Uh, he earned Orange Bowl MVP honors. You know, of course, Hendon Hooker was injured at that point. Um, Tennessee beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl. I was at that game. Uh, covered that and, and joe milton looked really good uh there was no more uh over overthrow joe, joe. He, he'd been he'd been retired and, and it was show me some mo joe in um, <laughs> route to uh mvp honors um and, and he looked great in the spring game and, and again i hesitate to put too much stock into that but right he does look like a different quarterback than the, than the guy who had the yips earlier in his career like um, we're up against it guy. He's, he, he's got the physical attributes he, he just has to get those mechanics in place. It looks like he's done so. 
Blake, great job. Um, before we go, how can people read uh, your expertise? Yeah, so I'm available anywhere uh, that's, that's part of the USA Today network, papers all throughout the South. You can also find my work over at usatoday.com. Um, but if you're in Florida, um, you can find a lot of my columns over at the Gainesville Sun, Gator Sports, um, and, and all the various uh, Florida papers that are part of the USA Today Network group. And I'm on Twitter, at BTopMeyer. Thank you so much, Blake. Really appreciate it. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Blake. Hey, let's get back and talk some more sports. Sports in the O-Zone. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. We're talking to Ronnie O and Coach Joe. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe, back in the Ozone. Give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. Coach Joe and I just went through the Gator schedule next year, and here's what we came up with. Coach Joe, let's go through again. All right, they start off on Thursday, August 31st at Utah, win or loss. Oh, well, I think we just decided that's a consensus between you and me that that's a likely loss. Right. Yeah. Nine-and-a-half-point underdogs, according to Vegas. All right, they get McNeese State. We both agreed that's a win. Tennessee, minus 10. The Gators, 10-point underdogs there. But Coach Joe's predicting the upset. No, I think I think we can win that one. Okay. And, again, mind you guys, it's May. We understand that. We're just uh, talking about the schedule because uh, – uh, you heard some of that in that interview. You know, we've got to temper our expectations. At least that's my feeling on it. I think it's yours too, Ronnie. Yeah, no doubt. Out. No doubt. Yeah. All right, Charlotte, we both agree to win. Kentucky, at Kentucky, we came up with a loss there. Yeah, I think so. All right. So Vanderbilt at home, we should beat them. All right, at South Carolina versus Georgia and Jacksonville, 22-point underdog. We gave them a loss there in both those games. Arkansas, we gave them a loss. LSU, we gave them a loss, which is at LSU. Had them coming back and beating Missouri, losing to Florida State, where at LSU, they're 17.5-point underdogs at this point. Florida State is an 11-point favorite in Gainesville. So that adds up to 6-6, and Coach Joe. And that's probably realistic, Uh, you know, you were mentioning some people have more optimistic predictions. Uh, I think optimism would be seven wins, you know, uh, being better than we think. Uh, because right now there's significant problems with the offense. It just There just are. And that's not to say that they're not being well coached or well run. It's just where the, the current program is and looking at their schedule in a realistic manner. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not progressing, mind you, but – this is a project that I believe is going, is at least three years in the making. Now, we're, this will be year two. If if we're into year three and we're not better, then we can wonder whether the coach is doing the job. Because his, his job is to build this program. It might not be the guy to get us where we want to go eventually. But right now, something had to be built there because it was not in good shape. And the Early returns, and even uh, even Blake mentioned this, is that he seems to be doing good with that part of it. And they, right now, the recruiting in the 2024 class that will sign uh, at the end of this year is looking very good. So, Can you hold them together if you have a bad year? Well, 
Yeah, that's going to be the big challenge. And, you know, it's like you have to break through and then the recruiting automatically improves. But can you can you get people while you're building to jump on board? And uh, it, that takes a particular kind of talent. And I think Napier has that. Now, whether he's the tactics coach and the strategist to get us the big wins once we get good enough, that remains to be seen. But that's a year three question. This is still about building. And just if you know what I think recruits will be looking for and what the fans need to look for is is how we play, knowing that we're not quite good enough to do much better than average six and six or seven or seven wins maybe. How are they playing? How are they carrying themselves? You know, uh, the identity of the team uh, and the uh, character of the team. Are the building blocks being put there? You know, it's do we have promising talent? And more promising talent coming in because remember in 2020 we had a very good team, 10 and two, but it was an undisciplined uh, team that was fractured and was the sign of something that wasn't going to last. What we're looking for is to build something that will last, even if it takes a couple of years. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, with the portal and all the things, all the opportunities that are out there today, um, I think patience may have a different timetable on it now than it used to. And I'm not sure it's not justified because you can certainly turn the roster over pretty quickly anymore. Well, yeah, let's talk. Well, go go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that seems to be the basketball philosophy is let's build through the transfer portal and try to do it quicker. And that may work. It may not. We're going to have to – that's also a wait-and-see sort of thing. Yeah, because uh, you've got to have chemistry in addition to the talent. Right. And and so if you're constantly shifting and changing, that that's hard to get. And more more even so than football, but basketball really requires a good chemistry. If you get the right combination, you can really, really do things. So two things to keep an eye on. It'll be an interesting year, even if it's not likely to produce a championship. No doubt. Well, let's talk a little baseball. Tampa Bay Rays keep rolling on. They beat the Jays today, six to three. They're thirty-seven and fifteen, best record in all of baseball. The Orioles, though, are only three and a half games back. And uh, you know, we were laughing. My Red Sox, we're ten games back. We're two games over five hundred. Everybody in the division is over five hundred. And uh, Red Sox would be in first place in the AL Central. Yeah, they'd be tied for first, but they're not. The Twins are in first place there. And we were talking about, we didn't realize the Rangers were as good as they've been. They're 31 and 18, three games over the Astros right now. And the Braves lead the National League East. They're five and a half games up on the Mets. And then the Brewers are 27 22. They're leading the Central. And um, the Dodgers. Only a game and a half up. They're thirty-one and twenty. The amazing Diamondbacks. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah, they were they weren't very good last year, if I remember correctly. And you over in the AL West, Ron, you got to keep an eye on on the records near the top because a lot of those wins. And I'm not sure about Texas or Houston, but a lot of those wins are going to be over the A's, who are dreadful. <laughs> I mean, they're they might be record-setting bad this year. Twenty-two games out. Ten and forty-one right now. Ten and forty-one, yeah. which translates. You know what was the worst record? The the sixty-two Mets with yeah. forty wins. You yeah. think the A's can get to forty? May not. I don't think they can get to forty. Uh, it, it's not like they've they're uh, they're going to get better at some point. They're bad and getting worse. And uh, 
you know, I know they're looking to move to Vegas. I think I think they've already started moving. I think yeah. they didn't. They don't have enough pieces left in Oakland to compete. It's it's really horrifically bad. Yeah, some of those guys might have already moved out there the way they're doing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just not playing all that well. Well, today would have been Gene Tunney's birthday. He was born in 1898. He was the heavyweight champion from 1926 to 1930. And, of course, he beat Jack Dempsey on the famous long count back in September of 20, or 1927. So, um, Get to nine. Just now, yeah, that's right. That's right. Really long count. count. Sorry, I didn't have. Wasn't in the microphone. Yeah, it was a long count. That was. uh, Have you ever seen that? Yeah, the film of it. Yeah, and the thing is, Jack Dempsey had agreed to that, and he just forgot about it. (laughs) He knocked Tunney down, and uh, but he had to go to a neutral corner, which was something new. You know, previously you could stand over the guy. If he got up, you could whack him again. <laughs> and so they decided, well, we're not going to allow that anymore. And uh, it ended up uh, costing him. Also, Brian Erlacher turns 45 today. No. Can that be? He can't be that old. I'm telling you, that's unbelievable. Man. <laughs> Brian Erlacher. Yikes. <laughs> Jeez. Seems like he was playing, knocking heads for the Chicago Bears just a few weeks ago. But he wasn't. And um, on this day in 1997, the Twins retired her Kirby Puckett's uniform. You know, the guy died in 2006 at the age of 45, had a stroke. But when he passed away, he led the Twins all time in hits, total bases, and runs. And his 318 batting average, and here's one that shocked me, was the highest for a right-handed hitter since Joe DiMaggio. Well, yeah, Kirby Puckett, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, Minnesota's a very good team. They went to the World Series twice. And we talk a lot about Frank Viola, who's a key a part of, of those Twins teams, but the heart of those Twins teams was Kirby Puckett. He, oh, yeah. He was a special player, great defensively. Oh, yeah. He didn't look, he didn't look like an athletic person, but he, he did was not. surprisingly good, and he was a great hitter, and he could patrol center field as good as anybody. I know. Like you said, you look at him, he was chunky. Yeah. You would have thought, <laughs> Man, that guy can't run, but boy, he could. And jump, I remember in the World Series against the Braves, he made a tremendous catch. It seemed like he got about eight feet off the the ground to make that catch and rob a home run. I don't remember who it was now. But also, in 1997, Todd and Mel Stottlemyre became the first father and son team to win 100 games in Major League Baseball. Oh, awesome. The Stottlemyers. Yeah, and great pitching coaches, too, now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in 1986, George Brett got his 2,000th hit. Well, Brett was a great player. He, oh, he, he was, was the last person. I think Tony Gwynn as well, but I think Brett was the last person who really had a realistic chance to hit 400. I believe, uh, I'm not sure what year it was, Ronnie. You might remember. He hit 390. Yeah, that's right. And didn't Tony Gwynn end up with a 388 one year or something? Yeah, yeah. It was around the same time because they, they were basically contemporaries. Uh, but Brett Brett could hit for power. For all the high average guys, he was the one guy who could really rake, rake it. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, you think of Rod Carew and, and Tony Gwynn. They didn't hit as much for power or Wade Boggs, uh, but they knew how to hit for average. But but Brett had both, and he was oh, a great third did. baseman. Yeah, he was. On this date in 1935, Babe Ruth hit his last three home runs for the Boston Braves in a losing effort to the Pittsburgh Pirates. 
Yeah, footnote to his career, but at least he went out with a bang, right? Yeah, three home runs in yeah. his last game. <laughs> it just one, one. That's like watching LeBron these days. He scored 31 in the first half of that game against Denver, but you know he just doesn't have that much left in the tank. And, of course, in the second half, the Lakers faded and Denver completed the sweep. That's a very, hey, yeah, father time wins again. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's undefeated. Yeah. In 1941, Ted Williams raises his batting average over 400 for the first time, uh, man, I tell you what a legendary season that was. They ended up with a double header, and his batting average was like three ninety nine five, which would have been rounded up to four hundred. And the manager said, "Ted, you don't have to play today. You know, you've hit four hundred. He said, "I'm not doing that." So he went out and he went like six for eight <laughs> in the two games, and uh, he raised it up to four oh six in nineteen thirty five. Jesse Owens equals or breaks four world records in a 45-minute span at the Big Ten track meet at Ferry Field in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, don't you know that they hated that because he, he ran for Ohio State? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's go ahead and take a break, and we come back. If there's anybody's hungry and thirsty out there, if there's anybody, raise your hands. I see some hands going up. Yeah. We're going to have that $30 that you can go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House and take $30 off your tab. So we'll have our sports quiz coming up. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. This is Danny Walker, Lake Gibson head wrestling coach, who broke Brandon's 41 year dominance in wrestling. You are listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone. Talk Radio 96.7 brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right. Coach Joe, I saw a lot of hands go up out there when we were asking if there was anybody that was hungry and thirsty. So if you would like to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House and dine and then take $30 off your tab, you're in the right place. So if you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call at 682-1430. At 682-1430. All you got to do is tell us. We're going to give you multiple choice. All right. Who one player leads the Tampa Bay Rays in batting average and home runs? Is it A, Yandy Diaz, B, Randy Rosarina, or C, Brandon Lau? 682-1430. That's all you got to do is tell us which one of those players leads the Rays in both batting average and and home runs. Coach Joe, that's pretty easy, I would think, if there's some Rays fans out there. It's multiple choice, so give us a call. We're pretty easy here. Well, the Rays are having their best season ever so far, and we know that they've been that it's likely to keep going because they've been a winning program now for several years in a row. They won a pennant uh, three years ago, and uh, they're an exciting team to watch too, and really a terrific hitting team. Uh, and uh, so we need to talk more about the Rays as much as possible. So, yeah, I, I love this question. Oh, yeah. Well, um, of course, you get to go out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. Talk and, about a winning streak. And watch the Rays, too. Man, their food is undefeated. <laughs> yeah. You talk about a great program. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, Jorge is a great manager. Yeah, he takes good care of you. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, he understands the importance of – the sporting experience when you're yes, eating. Yes, he does. You know, the 40 strategically located TVs, and they'll talk to you about what you want and which TV, and they'll make it work. You know, they'll make it happen. And, uh, you know, there's 
there's a lot going on on uh, television these days. In May, you know, we, we don't have football, but you have all these other things going on, uh, including not just the baseball, but also uh, basketball and hockey. Playoffs are, are really getting uh, heated up. And uh, if, if you're, you know, the South Florida teams are doing really well in, in all the sports this year. Plus, now we're into the SEC baseball tournament. The Gators had a great win last night. That was incredibly exciting. And uh, following that, you're going to have the regionals and and then the College World Series. And you're going to have the racing this weekend at Indy. I tried to reach Holly to find out In what was going Charlotte on. Charlotte 600. In Charlotte as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll stay in touch. We'll get, a, we'll get a hold of her and find out what's going on uh, and hopefully have her on soon to recap. Because we this is... Even when uh, when I was younger and I didn't watch racing as much, I always paid attention on this weekend, especially. Oh, yeah, big weekend. Um, Well, let's go ahead and throw that sports quiz back out there again. If you haven't won in the last six months, give us a call, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. What we want to know is one player leads the Rays in batting average and home runs. Is it Yandy Diaz, Randy Rosarina, or Brandon Lau? Give us a call, 682-1430. I'll tell you what, we're going to make it even easier. It's not Brandon Lau. So you've got two choices, 682-1430. All you got to do is call. you got a 50% chance. So 50% chance to get $30. Oh, we got somebody who's hungry and thirsty now. Oh, there we oh, go. Oh, cast yeah. that net out there. And, uh, and as, long as, as long as you don't take the Clarkster with you, you're going to be all right. Because the Clarkster, he, that man can eat like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> yeah, you talk about record setting. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, that, that guy, you know, he's like a steam shovel. <laughs> uh, score update, Ronnie. Uh, end of the first period, Vegas won, Dallas won. Uh, Vegas leading the best of seven Western Conference Series, three games to none. If they win tonight, then it's Vegas and the Panthers in the Stanley Cup Finals starting next week. All right. Yeah. Joe, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. You hungry and thirsty? I'm th- both. Yeah, that's good. That's that's what we wanted. All right. Who leads the Tampa Bay Rays in batting average and home run? Is it Yandy Diaz or Randy Rosarina? Diaz. You're exactly right. Hey-o. <laughs> You're exactly right. You ever been out to uh, the Ale House? Uh, last week or the week before. All right. What what do you What do you like to eat out there? Oh, yeah, everything's good. The beer is great, too. All right, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Who's your favorite baseball team? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the Rays right now, but I'm originally from up north, and I was a diehard Philly fan forever. All right. Yeah, Philadelphia Phillies. Man, go back to 1950 and the Whiz Kids and um, – then they, well, I'm not quite that old. But, I am. Uh, yeah, I don't think Joe goes that I, far I was back. born that year. Yeah. <laughs> we call Ronnie what the Wee's kid. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so then they didn't win again until 1980, did they? I'm pretty uh, sure they, they didn't. They were great. Yeah, the 1980 team was great. The uh, 1983 team won the pennant. The 1993 team won the pennant. Uh, but Philadelphia then in 2008 beat the Rays yeah. for their last World Series that's title, right. right? They did, yep. Yeah, I know you remember that one. Have you been to the Citizens Bank ballpark? Still called that, right? Many, many times, yep. I, Before that, uh, Connie Mack Stadium. Yeah, and then the vet. I, I, saw, I saw a game, a game at the vet. Yeah, I saw a game at the vet once. I saw Steve Carlton pitch there well, and Mike Schmidt. 
Yeah, Mike. Mike Schmidt, Larry Boa. Yeah, that's right. They're fiery little shortstop. Yeah, Phillies were. And then, then he became a manager for a while. Yeah, Boa was a pretty good manager for the most part. Uh, yeah, he 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 was decent. He was he was in the he was a Billy Martin type. Yeah, he was. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he was. Well, if you'll hang on the line, Joe. Eric will get your wallet. I mean, you, he'll get your. Uh, <laughs> Don't give him any any identifying information other than the name and uh, name, rank, else. and serial <laughs> number. Just give him your name and your phone number. No credit card number. Yeah, don't, don't give him your credit card number because. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, Joe, congratulations, and um, we'll send that out there tonight. You can go as early as tomorrow, and you have thirty days to claim your prize okay. out there at Miller's Lakeland Ale House. All right. Well, Coach Joe, we only got a few seconds left in the show, but, man, things went by so fast tonight. Yes, they did, and, we, and we've successfully fed the hungry. So uh, There you go. Very productive night. Well done, Ronnie. Curing <laughs> hunger one person at a time.